Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. This summer, we're walking through the book of Romans, taking a master class from the rich and powerful book of the New Testament. Romans is one of the greatest books of the Bible. It is the essence of the gospel and provides the rich doctrine of our faith. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, and God has used it to change the hearts of men and ultimately the world. In Romans, we see the impact of our sin, which reveals our deep need for God, and then the importance of living out our faith in Jesus today. Whether a lifelong student of the Bible to a first-time believer, this is a masterclass for everyone. Let's listen in. series that we're engaging in the book of Romans. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, you know that if it's the fifth week of the series, we're in Romans chapter five, and you can go ahead and get there and kind of put your finger or your bookmark or your neighbor's finger, whatever you need to do just to kind of hold your spot because we're going to get there. I want to say congratulations again to our graduating seniors this year. I, I'm so excited for you guys. I think it's really tremendous. And if you didn't, as Tristan mentioned earlier, um, grab one of the cards to pray for them in the upcoming year. I encourage you to do that. And you guys are first service and we still have plenty of them left. So if you want to get like a whole collector's set of all three graduates and put them on your bathroom mirror or your refrigerator and pray for them throughout the remainder of the summer as they transition in the coming year, um, do that. Um, these are, it's like collector's cards. I'm going to have mine signed this morning before they leave. I'm excited about that. As a parent of uh, my oldest kid finishing up their sophomore year in high school, I'm keenly aware that I'm going to sit in that spot sooner than I think. And, and right from the beginning, well-meaning people, and you know this because some of you are those well-meaning people, looked at all of us who were holding our tiny little babies at church on a Sunday morning, and you said, oh, just watch time flies. And you said that for two reasons. One, because you're mean and you want to put the fear of God into us. Um, and two, because it's true. Things really do go very, very quickly. And, and so what you guys are getting ready to do to step out into the world, into a brand new season of life. In some ways, I know that everything that you've done up to this point feels like a lot of pressure. Like high school feels like a lot of pressure, and two years into a journey with a high schooler living in my house, I can say it feels like more pressure now than it was way back when I did it. And it probably feels like more pressure now than it did way back when you did it. And so that just kind of goes and stands to reason that the next phase of life, those college and career days and figuring out what's next days, those might also be harder than way back when I did it as well. I'm fortunate that I've got a couple of friends, a couple of dudes who are on a, a chat group with me um, via the Instagram. That's new to my world. I didn't know you could do that in a group. And we will often send each other really meaningful um, reminders about good things. 
and the occasional joke. Um, if you know me well, you know that it's actually we spend a whole lot more time sending the occasional joke than we do the really meaningful reminders we should step up our accountability game. But here recently, one of us sent out this little, like, saying. It's a meme, and it has a picture attached to it, and it makes a whole lot of sense, and some of you will resonate with it, and you'll think it's true. I don't have my ducks in a row, is what the caption said. And then it followed it up with saying, one, because I cannot find all my ducks, and two... (laughs) I'm pretty sure that that one is actually a pigeon. And I think sometimes we feel that way. Like if I were to do a show of hands this morning just to kind of say, how many of you just have all of it together? Like I don't think anybody would raise their hand. And even if somehow subconsciously or even intentionally you knew that you did in fact have it all together, you would be too modest and too humble to raise your hand because you wouldn't want to make the rest of us feel bad. I get it. But the most of us in this room, the majority, like if you're the person who does have it all together, you can just tune me out the rest of the day, check the scores. I don't know if there are actual sports happening right now, but if there are, you can check them. Like catch up on your own Instagram, send your own funny jokes, try to find the one about the ducks because it's really, really clever. You don't have to pay a but for the rest of us in the room, we know full well we don't have our ducks in a row. We cannot find all of them all of the time. And sometimes we're not even sure that they are, in fact, a duck. Like some of the things just don't go well for us, and we don't have all the things figured out. And if at any point during this sermon series you came to church feeling like, oh, I might be on the edge of becoming a person who has everything in life figured it out, Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3 did a really good job reminding each of us that we are, in fact, dirty, rotten sinners. And we don't ever have all of the things all together. And I'll just go ahead and say that we're transitioning today into a really fantastic chapter in the book of Romans. Like I said, if you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, we're in Romans chapter 5. The very first verse provides comfort. Because there is, it's in your notes this morning, Tristan mentioned that you may want to follow along and write things down so that you don't forget them or so that you stay awake throughout the remainder of our time together. There is no better relief Like, there's a lot in Scripture that provides comfort for us, provides healing for us, provides a balm to the problems that we have in life, and a little bit of ease because we don't, in fact, have everything together. But there is no better relief than that of Romans chapter 5, verse 1. And we'll actually start there together today. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now you see why I said that there's no better relief than Romans 5.1. Like whatever's ailing us in life, whatever's triggering us in life, whatever's troubling us in life, there's no better relief for anything that we're walking through in life. And there's no better relief for the fact that we are just ourselves and can't get it all together on our own than to be reminded that we have been justified through faith. It's not something that we efforted. It's not something that we achieved. And we're at the season of life, and we did a couple of weeks ago with our college graduates. We're diving in this morning to our high school graduates. Like, this is a season of achievement. You guys did something. But regardless of the fact that you did something, there's always going to be something in the world that reminds you that you don't have it all together. You'd be the valedictorian of your class going on a full ride to whatever university you tried to get into in your life or getting the best job that you've ever heard of, making more money than any of us in the room combined. And you would still be a person who does not have all of your things together before God Almighty. And you, just like the rest of us, put one pair of pant leg on at a time and need the kind of justification before Holy Father and God that comes through being a person of faith. And when you do, you get peace. 
peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It continues in verse 2, through whom we have gained access again by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. If you're an underliner in your Bibles this morning or you like to be a person that writes down extra words so that you can go back and focus on them, I would underline the word peace. I would underline the word hope. I would underline the word justification and I would circle those words. It's mentioned twice in that passage by faith because it matters First, peace. Peace? This peace with God has always been the plan. Since the very first sin, since the very first person acknowledged that they did not in fact have everything in life together, since the very first time that sin entered into the world, and we keep coming back to that in the book of Romans, that it entered in the world through one man or woman, whatever you want to call it. Like it entered in the world through this one family, this one couple, and all of a sudden became the contagion that affects every single one of us. But right from the beginning, even before that sin, peace has always been the plan, but it may not mean what I think it means. In the words of the theologian Enigo Montoya, you keep using that word, but I do not think it means what you think it means. In scripture, it's the Greek word for the tranquil. Am I feeling tranquil this morning? Well, you took NyQuil last night, so maybe, I don't know. Like, the tranquil state of the soul, assured of its salvation through Christ, thereby fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot, whatever sort that is. Not only did this word that Paul was using in this letter not mean what we think it means, it didn't mean what the original audience thought that it meant. It didn't mean what the nation state of Rome thought that it meant because it wasn't this picture of Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. We're not going to get it by conquering or ruling. The way to have this kind of peace is by surrendering and following, being ruled by, not being the ruler of, and the ruled by part is Jesus Christ. This is just one example of what we do when we study scripture. We've got to be a people who define the terms on God's terms. Like we don't get to be the people who define all the rules. We don't get to be the people who write our own story. We don't get to be the people who determine what this word means. We've got to trust what it says and it comes from the author, not the interpreter. We need to know how to understand truth based on what God said, not what we want him to have said. We have to define the terms based on his terms. So I've got several for you this morning. I, I mentioned them already. Maybe this will work out for us. We're, we're looking at the words peace. We're, we're looking at the words justification. And we're looking at the words hope. That peace, that, that tranquil state of the soul where we can be content no matter what. No matter what happens. Peace doesn't come because everything in your life externally around you is always easy. Peace doesn't come, high school graduates this week, because everything in life falls into place and because you all of a sudden become a person who followed the plan that was set out before your life and magically got all of your ducks in a row. That's not the way to have peace. It's an inner thing that comes inside you only because of Jesus where you can be content no matter what. This picture of justification it's the idea that you and I get to stand before holy God just as if we aren't the wretched sinners that in fact we are. We get to be considered righteous 
not having any righteousness of our own, but we're considered that way because somehow or not, the, uh, the righteousness, the goodness, the perfection of Jesus is applied to our lives. I've thought often really long and hard about this idea. Wouldn't it be great? Like, you know your teacher's great on a curve sometimes. And they take the, the highest score and they make that barometer for where all of the other scores fall into place. It would be just so much easier if they took the kid that was the smartest in the class who made the best grade and just took that grade and applied it to all of the other kids whether or not they did their work. That's not what happens in school. That's not what it means to unfortunately grade on a curve. But that is what it means to become a Christ follower. Where the very best score is applied to our lives regardless of anything that we were ever able to do on our own. And you figured it out at this point that hope is the idea that we get to be confident in the expectation of spending all eternity with God, not because we had it all figured out, not because we got it all together, but simply because of faith. Every single one of these things comes from one word, faith. In Jesus Christ. That's the way to have peace. That's the way to be justified. That's the way to live with a sense of hope, regardless of what's going on in the world and regardless of what we happen to be facing in it. Because we've been justified by faith, not by our own effort, not by some sort of achievement, not by some sort of award, we get the benefit of the peace and the hope that comes from them. Tell them what they've won next a brand new car. No, but there is more. You're like, well, that's enough. Like, trusting God for salvation, being forgiven of my sins, bestowed with an attitude of inner peace, regardless of what's going on in the world, and a hope that none of that will ever be taken from me because of what Jesus has already done for me. No, the Apostle Paul continues, and it says in verse 3, not only so. Like, peace and hope, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Look what else you get. We also glory in our sufferings. Hold on. That doesn't sound as good. Stay with me. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So somehow or another, because of the faith that we give to God, we are given a peace that we don't produce and a hope that we did not create on our own. And we get the opportunity, you get the opportunity today to face all sort of sufferings in life. You're like, sign me up. All sorts of sufferings in life that will actually be essential to proving in your character perseverance and hope. And you get that because of the Holy Spirit. This is a foundational truth. Paul's not communicating anything new that someone who had not heard about the words of Jesus prior to this moment, what the apostles and the deacons in the life of the church had not already been communicating in the life of this moment because it's present throughout the New Testament. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. He closes it out by saying, you're blessed when people insult you, when they persecute you, when they falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. I'm sitting there going, that just doesn't sound good. What are we supposed to do rejoice and be glad great is your reward in heaven for in the same way that they persecuted the prophets who were before you like Jesus said like it's actually a good thing when you face trials it's actually a good thing when you are persecuted and when you struggle he goes on there's a a fantastic moment in the book of John chapter 9 
There was an understanding in the New Testament. There was an understanding in, in Jewish common way of life that their relationship with God was somehow based on their level of obedience to God and their ability to keep the law before God. And so they had this perception that any kind of infirmity that somebody faced or any kind of problem that somebody had was actually a punishment for the sin in their life. And so they're entering into a town in the beginning of John chapter 9 and, and they find this man who was born blind. It wasn't like he was given blindness later on because he just went out and lived his life any way that he wanted to live it, but he was actually born that way. And so the disciples are asking, he's like, okay, so Jesus, tell us, whose fault is it that the man is blind? Is it his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus responds in John chapter 9, verse 3, neither this man nor his parents, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Sometimes we're in the middle of whatever circumstance we find ourselves in life, and it's a hard one that we find ourselves in life, and we want to look at God Almighty in life and say, what did I ever do to deserve this? And what he's saying back to us is, this is an opportunity for my glory to be displayed in you in a way that it would not otherwise be displayed in you had you not walked through this circumstance in the first place. And according to the words that Paul gives us in the book of Romans, that circumstance, that issue, that infirmity, that calamity, that difficulty, he goes on to talk about uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, telling us that he delights in his weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions because when he's weak, he's made strong. That issue, that thing that feels like a punishment, that thing that's a disaster, that thing that's just not working out well in your life can actually be the thing that God uses to get the most glory from you. Without problems in life, this is in your notes, it's my favorite one today. I take that back because there's one coming up later that's also real good to me. Without problems, we totally miss out on perspective. Without problems, we're all content to walk in whatever level of privilege we think we have in life. Without problems, we totally miss out on the idea of perspective. There's a lot of fundamental issues at play in this whole idea of parenting and, and raising kids up and then releasing them into the world. It was nearly 20 years ago that I sat in a dentist's office in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I was waiting for a long, long time. Can't really recommend that dentist's office. Um, I was waiting for a real long time, and I was reading a Time Magazine article where social scientists and sociologists had designated a new category of, like, life. Like, you know, we have, like, we have, like, infants and then toddlers and then and then children and then teenagers adolescents they call it well sociologists were actually designating a whole other character that came after all those things but before adulthood they were calling them twixters at the time which is a really weird name you can look it up but basically it was delayed adolescence it was people who were legally and functionally adults in so many ways and yet they had delayed growing up and taking any sort of responsibility for their lives and continued to live under the umbrella of their parents. This was a precursor to kids being able to stay on their insurance until they're like, I don't know, 40 these days. But like staying on mom and dad's umbrella in life, we're going to come up with a category of those people. There's a whole group of folks who've grown up with either helicopter parents, with the people hovering around you and, and, and making sure that they watch every move that you make, or lawnmower parents, and they're the ones that are just paving a way for their kids in life. Like, I'm just going to carve a path out in the world, and you just follow it. I'll, you don't do it. I'll do it for you. Then there's bulldozer parents. They're like, I'm going to knock down any obstacle that stands in your way. 
And all of those categories have been around for long enough to the effect that people who were raised that way are now becoming parents on their own. And the shock of becoming a parent after having been raised that way is this. Your child is the first person in life who has ever told you no. Like life's just been so easy. It's been so perfect. Your parents just made it so simple for you. And then all of a sudden you have a child and their very first word is no. And you're just shocked and crumbling that anybody, much less your prodigy, who is beautiful and perfect in every way, has told you no. And there's actually a, a lot of psychology behind the fact that having been a person who was never told no in life, or who never faced an obstacle in life, or who never dealt with rejection in life, particularly in childhood, they're struggling later on. Because when the world doesn't go their way, when they don't automatically get an A, when they don't get chosen for every interview that they go on, whenever they face some sort of personal rejection, they cannot handle it. There was another article that I read a couple of years ago that talked about, New York Times says, playgrounds are too safe. Did you know that? Like somehow or another, all the rules and regulations that we have in life have made playgrounds too safe. So safe that kids have no fear, like no appropriate fear of falling off of stuff. Because it's too soft, it's too rubbery, it's too, it's too, it's too, like you can't, you can't break your bone. And so biologically and physically and psychologically, a whole generation is growing up having never faced a problem because their parents put a bubble around them so that they would never have to, in fact, face a problem. And the physical ramifications, the psychological ramifications, like we can, we can note what those are. We can say, that's a bad idea. Like I should, I should let my kids face appropriate amounts of rejection. I should let them deal with appropriate levels of problem. There should be some danger involved in playing on a playground so that they know how to hold on. So that they realize that there's risk involved and that there's danger on the other side. So that in some ways they figure out how to make decisions and how to hang on to the things that you're given in life to make wise. Like there should be some sort of challenges that they face so that they grow up and can handle the challenges that will inevitably come. But let's not forget the spiritual side of things. The scripture says we're blessed when we face those kind of problems says that we ought to be grateful because it's an opportunity for the, like, we get an opportunity for the glory of God to be displayed and the fact that we suffer in a way that the glory of God will not be displayed if things are easy for us. And so somehow or another, we want to recognize that a problem-free, pain-free, challenge-free life is not a good thing because Scripture tells us so Clearly, clearly that we're to glory in those things and be excited about those things because they develop a perseverance in us in a way that other things in life cannot. We're, we're celebrating Owen and Kira and Ellie Marie and then all the seniors from our Franklin campus who you saw and our Nolansville campus who you saw. And, and what I want to say to them in an isolated kind of way, you don't have to repeat after me because there's just three of you and that would feel a little bit awkward, but like in this life, you're going to have problems. Like Jesus said that and I'm saying it. Like in this life, you're, you're going to have difficulty. And there will not always be the hedges of protection around you that will make any of those things easy for you. And those are actually good things because those problems will produce a perspective in you. And perspective is the best weapon that we have to battle privilege in our life and to promote truth in it. Like we need those things. 
and we're celebrating your achievements right now. I'm real proud of whatever grades you made and like how hard you worked and somebody's going to throw you a party and they're going to give you a certificate and they're going to tell you that you've arrived in a lot of ways. But what I would really love to encourage every family to do is to take like a mental, but then after you take a mental one, provide a verbal one. These are all the challenges that you overcame. This is all the obstacles that we worked through. And these are the moments when we did those obstacles wrong. Let's learn from it. And these are the problems that we had that you might have again, and they might be to a higher degree. So let's figure out what we did right the first time and what we did wrong the the first time and why God might use us in a different way the next time. Like, let's figure that out together because that perspective, that glorying in trials and suffering and difficulty matters. We got to pick up the pace because we're only through verse five. Verse eight is coming. And there may be no better relief for us than Romans chapter 1. There's no better recap of all of Scripture than Romans chapter 5, verse 8. And we'll get there. And we get there a lot, actually, because I was talking to other communicators from the other campuses this week. And they're like, Romans chapter 5, verse 8 is a Grand Slam home run. In fact, we try to grab, like, we may be doing a series on Isaiah. And somehow or another, we will figure out a way to go grab Romans 5, 8 as an appropriate point. Because it's such a good verse. In fact, it's the memory verse that we'll lean into this week. Or we may be doing a a Bible verse on a Bible story or a series on one of Jesus's miracles or one of the prophet's words in the Old Testament or one of the like we're going to find a way maybe first Kings, second chronicles you got some of those things we're going to find a way to weave Romans 5 8 into those because it's such a good recap for all of scripture starting in verse 6 it says you see at just the right time when we were still powerless here's the perspective you're powerless Like Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3 did a really good job telling us that you're sinners. Romans chapter 5 touches back on that and said, there's nothing you can do about it. Like all the sin that you're dealing with, all the struggle that you have in life, there is in fact no way, all the ducks that you're really trying to get in a row, you can't do that by yourself. Has anybody ever tried to get a duck in a row? I just don't even know that that's a thing or where we got that saying, but somehow or another, you know what I mean when I say, get your ducks in a row. Like we get that. No matter what you do, No matter what book you read, no matter what plan you follow, no matter how much effort you give, no matter how smart you are, no matter how many times you graduate from all the things you graduate from, you will never be able to get all of the ducks in a row. In fact, most of the time you're going to lose one of the ducks along the way, and sometimes the duck is not even a duck. You are powerless. Powerless. And yet, when all that happened, while we were still unable to fix anything on our own, it says Christ died for the ungodly. And it says in verse 7, very rarely will anybody die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. And then it says this in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates, underline that word if you, if you like underlining words, it's a good one, demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, while we were powerless, while we were incapable of fixing any of it on our own, and while none of the ducks were in a row, Christ died for us. Read it again, because somebody should have ooed and they didn't. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While, it's a real good word, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That word demonstrates, like, that, that demonstration that God provides for us in this moment comes from a root word that means to stand and to make 
firm. I've been talking about Romans chapter 16, verse 1, this whole series, because at the end of the most theologically sound work of salvation that were given in Scripture, Romans chapter 1 through 15, of how we're supposed to approach salvation as believers, he gives a who's who list of all these incredible people, and he starts with Phoebe, and we've talked a lot about her, this woman from the church in Sincre, not just a woman, but a, a wealthy, affluent, like influential woman from the church of Sincre, but not only that, but a deacon, a leader, someone who had influence and authority in this particular church. She was somebody that Paul wanted to commend. She was likely the person who carried the letter to all of the house churches that were in Rome and very likely the person who stood up and read it. So just a minute ago when you heard my gruff coffee voice say, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The very first audience to hear those words read out loud were probably hearing the voice of an influential woman, a Greek woman from Sincre. And that whole commend in Romans chapter 16, verse 1, is the exact same Greek word as that of demonstrates in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God makes it firm. He establishes. He stands right in front of us so that nobody can miss it. His love. The way that he put Phoebe out front. This is the lady that you're going to be listening to this week, friends. This is the one who's bringing you my message. I'm going to commend you to her and I'll tell you all these great things about her. And then I'll talk a whole lot about other people who are awesome. But Phoebe is the one who gets the word commend. She's the one that stands up on display in front of everybody as a picture of what God was doing in the life of this local church. And it's the same as that word demonstrates in Romans chapter 5 verse 8. God wanted to put his love on display to make it stand firm, to make it irrefutable. And the way he did that was that while we were still sinners, incapable of getting any of our ducks in a row and living a life that would earn any of his affection, he sent his son to die in our place. And so it says in verse 9, since we have now been justified, since now we're considered forgiven and not have to deal with any of that anymore, we've been declared, we've been pronounced, we've been made righteous since we've been justified by his blood, verse 9, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath? Like this was a group of people who were worried about the wrath of God, who were worried about the punishment that they would receive for their sins, who were concerned about being separated from him for all eternity. He says, if you've been justified, made to stand up right before God Almighty, how much more can you be saved and spared from God's wrath through who? Jesus. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? BT dub, Jesus didn't stay dead. He came back. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Our memory verse last week, Romans chapter 4, verse 25, said he was delivered, what? Over to death for our sins. And he was raised to life for our justification. There's an exchange that's taken place. See, reconciliation between us and God while we were his enemies is an exchange that leads to real and lasting change. The thing that changes us, the thing that fixes us, is the fact that Christ died for us. 
We get to boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ because we have received, verse 11, reconciliation. You go down to verse 17, and there's a whole lot that's summed up at the close of this chapter. It says, if for by the trespasses of the one man, talking about Old Testament Adam, ate the fruit, separated from the garden, punished because of his sin. If by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? And then it says, consequently, verse 18, just as one trespass, one sin, one mistake, one disobedient action resulted in the condemnation of all people, so also one righteous act, one act of sacrifice, will result in the justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, mm, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, Jesus, many will be made righteous. Because of the exchange that we've had, because of the faith that you place in Jesus, there's a peace that comes and a hope that comes and a justification that comes. There's an exchange that has taken place where death reigns no more. And some of us don't know that all the time because you get the diagnosis and you're like, death reigns. Because your kid goes off and you're like, oh no, the world is a scary place. Be careful because death reigns. Like there's this, there's this overwhelming fear that plagues a lot of even believers in Jesus Christ that somehow or another, even though God is good and even though the Bible is real and even though I prayed some prayer, death is still looming and there's this weight of being a person out in the world. Like, like I think we as parents, and I've made this mistake, and I know some of you guys have too because we don't have all of our ducks in a row as moms and dads. Like we've done this thing. Like we've been so afraid of the world that we're sending our kids out into. Oh, the world. Not only is high school a lot harder now than it was way back then, the world is a lot worse now. Than, we feel that way, right? Like we feel like time flies. We feel like the world is worse. We're so concerned for this big, scary, death reigns world that we're sending our kids into, I would much rather be preoccupied with the kinds of kids that we're sending into the world. We're so afraid of the world that they're moving into. Let's worry about the kids that we're sending into it. Are we raising them to be a people who know that by the blood of Jesus, they can have peace, they can have hope, they can stand right before Almighty God. That they didn't have to be a people who got all A's, that they didn't have to be a people who got into some great school, that they didn't have to be a people who got a scholarship, that they didn't have to be a people who made all wise choices, that they didn't have to be a people who were somehow sin-free and had all of their ducks in a row. But in spite of the fact that they didn't, and no matter how hard they tried, never would, Christ died for them anyway. Death reigns no more. That's a celebration, but in it is a reminder that we are never to downplay one sin because one is enough. Like if, if, if anything that the garden reminds us of is this, it reminds us that y'all, just one, that's enough. It's enough to sever the relationship between us and God Almighty. It was enough to cost him the life of his precious son. We don't downplay sin in this life simply because we're forgiven, because one was enough to do all the damage that has ever been done. And the question that we're continuing to ask is, does death reign? Where are we in this? Because God has something better for us than sin. Way better. It's life. 
Don't dismiss righteousness because Jesus is more. And while we're a people who are celebrating achievement, we can also be a people who celebrate perseverance, celebrate character, celebrate the problems that we overcame, and celebrate the forgiveness that we've been given. Celebrate that while we were powerless, while we were sinners, while we never had a hope of having a duck in the row, that's okay because Christ died in our place. He died for the ungodly while we were still sinners. That's who Jesus is. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, you're showing us how much you love us. You're giving us everything that you have for us in your son. And so God, I pray that we would be a people who no longer let death reign, who no longer let the fear and the threat of not having everything figured out in life plague our very existence, but we grasp so tightly the peace and the hope and the love that comes from you because Jesus, you died for us. And we tell you today that we're grateful for it. God, would you continue to show us this incredible tapestry of what you've done for us in your son, what it cost him, and what it provided for us so that we may be a people of your love. It's in the name of Christ that we pray today. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with friends and family in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.